Hey everybody, Joseph here, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast, a show that features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres. But first, a little bit about us. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation, proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. We have a vibrant and thriving ministry to our neighbors here in Flint and are engaged weekly in worship, faith formation, a dynamic ministry to kids and teenagers, and community building across generations. You can learn more at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 930 to worship with us. We'd love to welcome you and your family to worship. Now, here's this week's sermon. The angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, for he is risen. Let the church of Jesus Christ say. Church, to build a fire, one requires at least three things. First, you need some tinder, a highly flammable material that will catch a spark and allow it to burn quickly and freely. You can take a dry stick, you can run it through a small pocket pencil sharpener and use the shavings. You can use dried leaves that you crunch up and fluff up a bit. You can use dryer lint. You can use steel wool. You can use cotton balls soaked in Vaseline. Whatever you use, it needs to be placed at the base of your fire. Next, you'll need some kindling, some small dry sticks, preferably pine, spruce are great, something about the size of a match or a pencil, placed strategically around the tinder so it can quickly embrace the fast-burning embers. And finally, you'll need some fuel, some long-burning hardwood would be perfect to keep the fire burning long into the night. Ash, oak, maple, these are all great choices, native here in Michigan. And once the kindling catches, you'll want to feed some of those small pieces of hardwood and start feeding the fire slowly. And church, if you get a little antsy, if you don't want to wait, you can use an accelerant, something to really cause that kindling to ignite. So you just take a gauze pad and soak it in hand sanitizer and toss it on your tinder and you'll be guaranteed a few minutes of hot, concentrated fire that will guarantee your kindling will catch. Now, church, this information comes to us today courtesy of the internet. And I really, 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 really wish that I would have had this information handy when I was in ninth grade, when I bragged to my best friend that I was an expert at building campfires. I was spending the night at my friend's house, and we decided that we were going to set up a tent and sleep outside since his house did not have central air, and it was one of those sweltering summer days where it was actually hotter inside the house. I'm sort of an expert at building fires, I bragged. Though in reality, I had, until this point, only witnessed fires being built. How hard could it be, I thought to myself. You get some matches, you pile on some wood, you throw some leaves on it, light it. Easy. 
So I did what I imagined. I grabbed some matches. I took several, like, eight-inch diameter logs <laughs> and a handful of leaves, and I arranged them there in a fire shape in the fire pit. I took the matches, ignited one, held it on the leaf pile, which ignited instantly, but burned far too quickly, and in no time was out. The large logs that I had assembled in this log cabin shape didn't really seem phased by my little pile of leaves. So I grabbed some more leaves, a tremendous armfuls of leaves, and I dumped them on the fire, and I lit them, and they burned brightly, and they smoked profusely, and then they were gone. Those large logs laughed at me, church. I heard it. They mocked my pride. They attacked my honor. My friend's older brother, a senior in high school, came out to see what in the world we were doing. Joey's building a fire, my friend said. Doesn't look like it. He said, you know, you two, you know what you need? This 12th grader said to us, you need some kerosene. <laughs> now, church, let me just go on the record here. We did not need kerosene. But at this moment in time, when my adolescent brain was only half matured, I said out loud, yes, that is exactly what we need. So he goes to the shed where his dad kept a jerry can half filled with kerosene that they used to refill their old camping lanterns. And so we lugged the half full can of kerosene out to our campsite. How much do we put on? I asked. Just dump it all over the logs, my friend's brother replied. So we unscrew the cap from the jerry can, and just as we were about to give this can the old heave-ho and dump its contents onto our log pile, my friend's dad sees us through the house window, thanks be to God, and runs out to save us from utter disaster. What are you three doing? He yells. Trying to start a fire, we say, half confidently, half sheepishly. With kerosene? He asked like it was a weird thing. He quickly caps the jerry can and looks at our fire pit. He looked at my large logs piled on top of the remains of my leaves. He says, you don't need kerosene dummies. You need kindling. And he showed us how to build a proper fire. He helped us remove the large logs. He helped us find smaller twigs and wood pieces we could use for kindling. And he showed us how to layer our fire with tinder and then kindling and then smaller, bigger logs. He showed us how to light the tinder and how to get the kindling to catch. And only when the fire was ready could we pile on the larger pieces. And in no time at all, we had a decent, manageable, and above all, safe fire roaring. What we needed was kindling. Now, church, I'm not sure what state your soul is in today on this Easter in the year 2022. I'm not sure if when you walked in the doors today, you were carrying with you a personal agony. I'm not sure what shapeless anxiety might be rising up in the back of your minds that you're trying to suppress because, after all, it's Easter. I don't know what you are presently enduring in your personal life that is causing you maybe to say the words, He has risen indeed with a half-hearted voice or with disbelieving words. 
Maybe you've had to bury your beloved in the past weeks or months. Maybe you've had to endure another round of painful treatments. Maybe you've been cornered again by the darkness of depression, and this time it just isn't letting you go. Maybe your particular brand of addiction has avalanched into your life again. Maybe the decades-old fracture lines in your marriage are starting to erupt. Maybe you're just stretched too thin, and you can't imagine making room for anything else in your life right now. I'm not sure what it is for you today, but what I know is that it can be hard coming into a sanctuary to announce resurrection and life in the midst of a world that is often marked by suffering and death. When our podcasts and news feeds are blaring reports of war and injustice and tragic loss, it can be frustratingly discordant to sing hymns of praise in a flower-laden church on Easter. It can be difficult to know what to do with Easter when our lives are often not portraits of new life and resurrection, but rather images of Maundy Thursday-type betrayal. Good Friday, tight pain, or Holy Saturday, bitter silences of God. Is the message of Easter really that somehow all of that's now over and that we'll never, ever, ever suffer or hurt or die? Is that really what the church has to say in the midst of a world that is tearing itself apart by war and politics and sorrow? No, no. No, the message of Easter is not that suffering is over or that pain is ended or that we will never go down to the grave. The message of Easter is that our human existence really truly is like my so-called campfire at my friend's house. Our lives and experiences and joys and sorrows and blessings and agonies are like those fistfuls of leaves that burn brightly and quickly and which produce smoke and spark, but which is gone in an instant. What hope can we have for the future of that fire? The message of Easter is that if we are to somehow bridge the gap between the fast-burning tinder of our mortality and the long-burning logs of eternity, we need kindling. We need something to be laid upon us, laid over us, which can burn long enough to ignite a roaring fire. The message of Easter is that the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ has become for each of us the essential kindling that takes the feeble tinder of our lives and connects it to the bonfire of eternity. It's not that sorrow is now over, it's that we have hope for what comes after sorrow. It's not that pain has ended, it's that now we know that pain will not have the final word. It's not that war and injustice and addiction and loss are no longer present with us, but rather that even, too, even they too shall one day be silenced before the one we proclaim as Lord and Savior. Easter is the day we announce Christ is risen. He is risen to try a different analogy, we might say that because of his resurrection, because death did not keep Christ bound, because the grave could not hold him, we now have caught sight of the puzzle box picture according to which the jigsawed pieces of this broken world are slowly being assembled to. 
Today we hear from the prophet Isaiah who proclaimed that a new day is on the horizon, that a new creation is about to take shape. A day when the Lord announces to all the broken things, I am about to create a new heavens and a new earth. When God takes the hands of those who have buried a child and says no more, no more, my people shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. When God embraces the outcast, the one whose father has kicked them out of the house, the one whose face is battered by abuse and neglect, and God says, no more, no more, for I shall rejoice and delight in all my people. A day when God gathers up all those who, because of war or famine, have had to flee homes or kindred and says, no more, no more, no longer shall you build and another inhabit. With the resurrection of Jesus, the puzzle box portrait for God's kingdom has been revealed and the first piece in that puzzle has been laid. It may take a long time to finish the puzzle, church. It might take lifetimes of joy and sorrow, glory and suffering, blessings and agonies. But on Easter, the church celebrates that we now know how the story ends. And the story ends with new creation, with peaceableness among the nations, with life everlasting, and all this because Christ is risen. It's the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, the day after the day of rest. It's the first day of the week, and on a day perhaps like today, a group of friends were headed out to the graveyard to find the tomb of Jesus, the one they called Lord and Messiah. They brought with them the stuff of death, spices, and incense to help preserve his body as it began to decay. The men in their group were too afraid to come out, and they sat huddled in a locked room, but not so for Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, and who bravely led a group of women out to tend the body of their Lord. They knew what they expected to find. They expected a corpse, a lifeless husk of a human person. And we know what they discovered an empty tomb, a rolled away stone, angels announcing the news, he is not here, for Christ is risen. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that those women heard the angels announce Jesus' resurrection, and the women ran to proclaim what they heard and what they saw. They rushed back to the frightened men hiding behind locked doors, and they opened their mouths to testify freely about the living Lord Jesus who had overcome the power of death, but The men who heard them thought this was just an idle story, a fanciful tale, a daydream. Someone say, listen to the women. Someone say it, listen to the women, because they proclaimed the first sermon on Easter Sunday. They said, Christ is risen. risen Today we hear, carry out and carry on the mission of those women. And today we proclaim again a 2,000-year-old miracle. We proclaim a divine disruption in the natural order of things, a holy interruption in the transition of life to death, for Christ is risen. We hear the story of the women. We join them in their pilgrimage out to the dawn-lit tomb, carrying purchased supplies, hoping to anoint the body of the Savior who was lying in a borrowed grave. Christ is risen. We listen to their worrying, who will roll away the stone. We sense their anxiety as we see it already rolled away, the grave laid bare. Christ is risen. risen 
We feel their trepidation as they tiptoe around the corner, terrified that they might come face to face with a grave robber, a thief, a plunderer. Christ is risen. risen We know their confusion as those angels sheathed in white as a lily stare at them knowingly. We sense their alarm as the fight or fear Flight adrenaline quickens their hearts and clenches their leg muscles, paralyzing them in their indecision. Christ is risen. risen They bow their faces to the ground, and the angel shouts a greeting. But where is the Lord? They turn their gaze to the angel, standing beside the rock bench, incorporeal, translucent like a vision. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? They stare at the place where they had laid him, a hollow just big enough for a body, just wide enough for arms to be at sides, just high enough for a body whose heart would not beat again, whose chest would not rise or fall with the rhythmic breaths of life, whose vocal cords would not vibrate with voice or song or laughter. Christ is risen. risen They hear the angel say, remember he told you this was to be. They hear the words, he is not here, he has been raised, and the women freeze, confused by the words being spoken, the rational now conflicting with the supernatural. Christ is risen. risen They fall backward out of the cool rocky tomb, the brilliant sunlight seizing them in its glory, bathing them in its light. Their hearts have not stopped, their staccato 16th note beating. Their lungs are still taking shallow breaths. Their voices are mute, unable to form the words they long to believe. Christ is risen. Death took Christ just hours ago to them. Or was it days? Or was it years? Time is now reorienting itself around this moment. These women saw the nails go in. They heard Jesus' prayers from the cross. They heard the rattle of spirit on breath as he breathed his last. They saw his head sag at the end, and they closed their eyes, for they watched death take their Lord. And dragging Christ down to the pit of lifelessness, death examined him as a lion examines her prey, as one might examine a decadent dessert before consuming it whole. But so it was that death discovered it had taken life itself. Death took a body, but it came upon God. Death took a body of dust and earth, but it encountered heaven. Death took what it saw, but now it began to crumble by what it had not seen, for clutched in its grasp was the one who is the beginning and the end, the one in whom is life and light, the one in whom all things are held together and death stumbled and fell and it was unable to hold him any longer and death began to tremble for the one who sent Christ the God who manipulated the order of things to permit a teenage womb to carry the ineffable the God who spoke to Christ anointing him Messiah and Lord had now shouted into death's echoey domain a spirit-filled voice saying Jesus of Nazareth come forth and death was forced to watch as the prize it had claimed for its own the body of the Savior responded to the voice of the Lord and the dissolution of his cells began to reverse 
His decaying molecules were being re-knit. His amino acids were being rekindled, and lo, his heart began to beat. And there, in the very stronghold of sin and death, at the bottom of the grave, his neurons begin to fire, lungs filling as they expand and contract, drawing in the oxygen trapped in that sealed stone tomb and breathing out the breath of life, and death fell back, trembling at the sight, for Christ is risen. Death, where is thy sting? Hell, where is thy victory? Christ is risen, and you are overthrown. Christ is risen, and the demons have fallen. Christ is risen, and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen, and life reigns. Christ is risen and has become the first fruits of a great harvest of resurrection. And church, not one of us, not one of us shall be left in a tomb. Christ is risen. Therefore, let us, every one of us, enter into the joy of the Lord today. You who are rich, you who are poor, dance for joy together. You who are faithful and you who are not, celebrate this day with thanksgiving. You who have kept the Lenten fast and you who have disregarded it completely, we rejoice together on this day. For today, we have heard how the story ends, and it ends in life everlasting. So let no one lament their conditions today, for Christ's kingdom has been revealed, and we are all heirs. Let no one mourn their sins today, for from the grave of condemnation has sprung forth light of forgiveness. Let no one here fear death, for Christ has been raised and death has been cast down. Today, church, we've come to worship on the day of days, and we've brought with us the fragile tinder of our lives We've brought with us our bitterness, our cynicism, our fears, our doubts. We've come to worship today with a half-raised eyebrow, unsure if the news we proclaim is really true or if it's true, whether it means anything in the face of terror or turmoil or death. We've brought our anxiety for life seems so fragile, so easily lost, so fleeting to grasp onto. We've carried with us our hurts, for we ache for those who we have lost or who we are losing. We yearn for their presence, their laughter. But today, we lay upon our tinder the kindling of hope that comes from Christ's resurrection. And as our hearts catch fire, we can exchange our cynicism and our doubts and our fears and our anxieties and our hurts Here we come forward to this table to proclaim that while death may be bitter and indeed a reality, it does not get the last word. Christ is risen. risen. Here we proclaim that the fragile flames of life may be easily extinguished, but in Christ that life is restored forever. Christ is risen. risen Here we proclaim that while our weeping may last all through the night, joy cometh with the morning. And when dawn breaks, we shall all be raised like Christ, joined with all the saints at Christ's great table where the Lord will finally swallow up death forever. Christ is risen. risen Upon no other foundation can our faith be constructed. If Christ was not raised, everything else is in vain. If Christ stayed dead, we have no hope and we better return our Easter clothing. But today we are confronted with the stunning news that he has been raised, 
And today we pause to consider for a brief moment the possibility that, yes, Christ is risen and death is no longer. Today we are invited to celebrate, for by his resurrection Jesus has done what we could not do. He has ended the tyranny of death and has put to flight the captivity of the grave. Today we celebrate, for Jesus has laid himself as kindling upon the feeble tinder of our hearts and has caused the sparks of hope to erupt into a roaring fire. Today we celebrate, death, where is thy sting? Hell, where is thy victory? Christ is risen, and you are overthrown. <laughs>